Well, how are you all doing? You're all very welcome to this extra special bonus episode of Fire Drawn Air. And um, basically what this is, is like the final little coda, I suppose, to the Wild Rover podcasts. Um, when I first made those episodes back in May 2020, I thought I would make this little episode all about ballad sheets, the culture of ballad sheets and the social history behind it all um, in 17th, 18th, 19th century Ireland. Um, since I did co- mention the kind of ballad sheet uh, culture and trade quite a lot in those episodes, I thought it would be good to give this little, you know, just a, maybe a little primer or a background to help elucidate those moments where I did talk about it and maybe, you know, took it for granted that people knew what I was talking about. Um, so I hope you enjoy this. It's not a very long episode, but uh, hopefully you'll get something from it. Um, as always, if you feel like supporting the show, I have a Patreon. You can find that as well as links to everything I've ever done on the internet um, at www.campsite.bio forward slash fire drawn air. Um, hope you're all keeping well and I'll be back with a regular episode in two weeks. Until then, take care and a good look. phenomenon of street vendors selling sheets of cheap paper onto which the words of a song had been printed was something that reached its peak in Ireland between the years 1780 and 1870. Known as ballad sheets, these items were at first the preserve of the middle and upper classes, but gradually they filtered their way down to the lowest in society. 
Despite their popularity, the songs in these sheets, as well as the culture that surrounded them, came to be denigrated, feared and reviled, both by the governmental authorities at the time, as well as later authorities on traditional song. Despite these attitudes, it's undeniable that the printed ballad sheet had a great influence on life in the country, and many songs, which started out on a badly printed slip of cheap paper, continue to figure in the oral tradition to this day. I am Ian Lynch, and this is the Fire Drawn Air Podcast. The word ballad has held a multiplicity of meanings throughout the years. Deriving from the Latin ballare, the term originally referred to a type of song that was meant to be danced to. Then came ballade, a sophisticated French form of poetry that became standardised in the 14th and 15th centuries and was not intended to be sung. These days, it can refer to anything from a moody pop hit to one of the many songs that found popularity during the so-called ballad boom of the 1960s. During the period in question, however, the word ballad refer to the actual slip of paper that the song was printed on. And that's the understanding that I'm going to be working from in this episode. Nowhere is this meaning made more obvious than in the phrase, there was a hole in the ballad. When first I got married, I thought things would be right with me. There was a hole in the ballad. She was not longer right with me. This phrase was commonly used as an excuse when the singer forgot part of a song, the import being that they couldn't learn the part of the song that was missing from the sheet. As a phrase, its usage was widespread and it appears in J.J. Marshall's popular rhymes and sayings of Ireland, as well as the Concise Ulster Dictionary, printed in 1996. Another item of note is that the term broad sheet refers to a ballad sheet that was printed on both sides, while a broad side was printed on only one. They could also be referred to as slip ballads, on account of the sheet being long and thin. Clearly working in imitation of a practice that had already become established in England by the time, the earliest example of a printed ballad in Ireland is dated 5th of July 1626 and is a song called Mount Tara's Triumph. The song expresses loyalty to the newly crowned King Charles I not surprising if we take into account that printing in Ireland at this stage was governed by a patent granted to the King's printer. Over the course of the 17th century, it's clear that the ballad in this form was readily accepted by the elite and fashionable in society. As a trade under English control and the English influence, it is perhaps unsurprising that this new media form was not welcomed by the native Gaelic poets, 
and in the mid-1670s, the Limerick-based Davio Bruder referred to the singers of such songs as chanters of the frigid sheets. At this early stage, it seems that the ballad sheets were reprinting songs which had already become popular in England. This influence is something that continued over the years, and we can still hear songs of English and Scottish origin that were printed in the 18th century being sung today. The Blind Beggar's Garland, Willie Taylor, and the Sea Crab, to name but a few. He caught the codfish up by the backbone. He threw him across his shoulders and rode away home. Mr. Adlum, a daddlum. I, Mr. Adlum, a daddlum, a day. When he got home, sure he couldn't find a dish. And he put him in the pot where the wife used to piss. Mr. Adlum, a daddlum. I, Mr. Adlum, a daddlum, a day. The wife got up in the middle of the night. She made for the pot and she got an awful fright, Mr. Adlum, a daddlum. Hi, Mr. Adlum, a daddlum, a day. Over time, however, as the ballad came to be embraced by those lower down the social order, songs written in Ireland came to be printed alongside these. Although written in the English language, these songs often employed the voices associated with poetry and song in the Irish language. Assonance and internal and partial rhyme, for example. They were also sung to tunes which already had common currency in the oral tradition. All of these factors combined to give rise to a very distinctive style, what is referred to now as Anglo-Irish song. I speak with candor one night in slumber, my mind did wander near to Athlone. To the centre station of this Irish nation Where a congregation unto me was shown Beyond my counting upon a mountain Near to a fountain that clearly ran The earth did tremble, I will not dissemble As they assembled for the rights of man One of the first printers of ballad sheets in Ireland was Joseph Haley of Cork who was also distinguished for being one of the only printers of Irish language songs on ballad sheets. Beginning in the 1800s These songs were usually printed in a phonetic form of Irish that can often be quite difficult to decipher. Alongside the name of Haley, the names of other 19th century printers have become well known. Nicholson in Belfast, a shrewd businessman who printed both nationalist and loyalist songs, Goggin in Limerick and Brereton in Dublin, of whom it was said his sheets contain more inspired misprints to the square inch than any other at any other time. By this stage, the record is replete with descriptions of the sellers of these printed ballads. The common practice was for the seller to stand in a public area and sing the songs themselves, and it's likely that this is where the opening phrase, Come all ye, originates. Come all ye tender-hearted people. Come all ye true-born Irish men. Come all ye boys of Paddy's land, 
Kamali Roman Catholics. As a method of encouraging the ears of the public to prick up and of drawing attention to themselves in order to advertise their wares, it must have been very successful to become such a widespread convention. The German travel writer Johann George Cole gives a description of the activities of ballad singers at the Kilkenny races in September 1842. Although he had witnessed them throughout Europe, he had never seen as many in Ireland, where, on occasions of popular excitement, At every step stood poor singing beggars, girls, boys, women, men, young and old, all clad in the strangest costume of rags and tatters, and all waving their printed ballads in the air. Crowds of poor people, beggars and rabble, perseveringly swarm around them, follow them step by step, and listen to them with a degree of eagerness which may partly be attributed to the fact that the singers proclaim their own misfortune, which they have turned to verse, but still more to the great delight which the Irish take in music and singing and in everything new that passes in the streets. Many of these singers would have travelled to Kilkenny especially for the occasion, for, as Maura Murphy states, the main characteristic of the ballad singer was his mobility. One vendor, Dennis Sheehan, gave a very full account of his activities to the police when arrested in 1841. He said that between the years 1840 to 1841, he had visited, in order, Thurlis, Cashel, Tipperary, Limerick, Ennis, Gort, Lochray, Ballinasloe, Athlone, Roscommon, Boyle, Toome, Galway, Ballinasloe, Beer, Nina, Tralee, Macroom, Cork, Bandon and Dunmanway, a combined distance of over 500 miles. Usually, the travelling ballad singer was a male, but there were also couples who travelled together. Sometimes, the man acted as a bodyguard against police interference, but often, the two sang together. One account describes a very unusual convention in this regard. Some singers allow their wives, standing by their sides, to take over the song when it moves upwards out of range. Sturdily they stand sentinel to resume their singing when the air descends once more. The census reports of 1851 and 1861 make it clear that for some being a ballad singer was a full-time occupation, but for others it was something they turned to at points in the year when extra income was needed. For some it was a last resort when they had no other means of making a living. The practice of singing in public seems to have been generally reviled by the more upstanding members of society. Charges of sedition aside, the singers were seen as impediments to passage, barriers to trade, as well as sources of distraction in order to provide pickpockets 
with easy targets. Not only that, the songs they sang were often seen as being morally questionable. The many extravagant ballad singers which infest our streets both day and night singing obscene songs that poison the mind of every youth a wound to the ears of every virtuous person passing along. Many commentators simply did not like the sound of what they heard and their historical record is full of phrases like Squalling Screeching Bawled out and Sung by a stentorium to a tune so lugubrious and dismal that it resembled the funeral dirge of keeners. One report from Cork speaks of A set of miscreants bellowing out the most discordant tones, compositions of the vilest description against decency and morality. Crowds of idlers are in this way brought together by day and to the late hour at night, in the most public and difficult thoroughfares, to the great annoyance of shopkeepers and others engaged in business. And if they be spoken to on the impropriety of their conduct, insolence and insult are the only return they make. suspect that these persons are sent through the country by agents to encourage resistance to the laws and to keep alive the animosities created against all advocates for a continuance of the union with England. Throughout the 19th century there was a definite fear, verging on paranoia at times, that ballad singers were intent on stoking political unrest. Reflecting contemporary situations Many ballads were indeed written about controversial political issues of the day, such as the repeal of the Union and the abolition of tides. In an unlikely twist of fate, the fact that the singing and selling of such ballads was illegal allowed for their preservation. For ballads perceived to be seditious were confiscated, and many ended up in the files of the Chief Secretary's office in Dublin Castle. Ballad singers could also be employed in the lead-up to elections, to sing songs in either favour of or against a particular candidate. And it's clear that some singers set great store in being able to whip a crowd up into a frenzy. From some of these songs you seem to be a firebrand to set the people wild. Unless I set them wild it would not be paid. The fact is, a couple of ballad singers could do more to raise the mobs than all of the speeches that could be uttered. We are able to sing two mobs to smash each other's skulls. The smashing of skulls was unfortunately a result that was not unheard of. On the 1st of July, being the day of the monthly fair in Manor Hamilton, about four o'clock in the evening, a woman in front of the old castle was singing a ballad in praise of O'Connell. A man, called Neely, attempted to snatch the ballad out of her hand. This particular situation resulted in a riot, 
in which one person lost their life. With arrests for the singing and peddling of seditious material being commonplace, singers often had to resort to craftier methods of getting their songs heard. As the Chief Inspector of Police in Limerick in 1869 stated, It is a quite common practice for ballad singers to sing works quite different from those in the ballad, to obtain a sale for them, and when anyone in the garb of a policeman appears, they return to the original. One singer in Listowel, County Kerry, was known to advertise his ballads by claiming that they were a copy of a love letter found on the road, with the parties involved being well known in the area. What he was selling was actually copies of a ballad called The Young Soldier Boy, which was regarded as being particularly seditious. The practice of claiming to sell a straw upon which a ballad would be given for free is also widely reported. I will not sell me book. I cannot sell me book. I dare not sell me book, but I will sell me straw. And make a present of my book. And a price of me straw is one penny. That is not a wheaten straw, nor an oaten straw, nor a rye straw. But it is the rail, the pale, and the union straw. It seems that this may have been merely patter, a way of garnering sympathy and thus affecting greater sales. Despite the antipathy that the ballad singer faced from the authorities and the upper classes, it seems that not only were ballad singers tolerated, but they were often shown great solidarity by the general public, who also viewed their activities as seditious and defiant, but loved them for it. There are various documented cases whereby crowds of people obstructed the police who were attempting to carry out an arrest. I think it necessary to state that two of the persons pursuing these practices are from Clonmel, well-dressed men, extremely insolent in manner and deportment, one of whom distinctly told me in the street, surrounded as he was by vast numbers of townspeople and countrymen, that I should not dare to interfere with him, to which declaration the mob gave unequivocal symptoms of assent and approbation. seems that over time, songs on Irish politics became less popular and songs written on matters of love increased. Besides these two subjects, there were also songs written on emigration, sport, executions, highwaymen, religion, supernatural occurrences, disasters, comic songs, as well as other miscellaneous subjects. As Patrick Weston Joyce said, In Ireland, Whenever any tragic occurrence takes place, such as a shipwreck, an execution, an accidental drowning, shooting, etc., some local poet generally composes a lamentation on the event, which is printed out on sheets and sung by professional ballad singers through towns and at fairs and markets. Although the ballad sheets never contain musical notation, 
They sometimes contain directions for a tune that the song should be sung to. But quite often, these can be just as obscure as the song itself. Lost to time. Many scholars and collectors of traditional song have been dismissive and perhaps overly critical of the songs to be found in ballad sheets. The Irish collector George Petrie referred to some of them as so rude and imperfect as to be unworthy of publication, while the English collector Sabine Barringold referred to them as the wretched stuff which has ousted the old ballad poetry. Professor Francis James Child despite the fact that he made recourse to the printed ballad numerous times while compiling his now famous publication, The English and Scottish Popular Ballads, famously referred to them as a veritable dunghill in which only after much sickening grubbing a very moderate jewel may occasionally be found. So it would seem that the printed ballad has been looked down upon and denigrated. Perhaps unfairly, I would say. While the trade no doubt did include a lot of hack writers who did not always produce songs of the greatest quality, a lot of songs written for the ballad sheets did manage to capture the public imagination. Such songs are still to be heard today. Not only that, but by printing older songs already current in oral tradition, the ballad sheets aided both their dissemination and preservation. Considering their popularity amongst the poorest in society, people who seldom leave records of their thoughts or their emotions behind, we can, through looking at the ballads that were popular at the time, gain an insight into how these people felt about the world in which they lived. Although the printing and selling of the printed ballad in Ireland began to die out from 1870 onwards, it did survive into modern memory in some areas, and there are reports of people still singing and selling ballads right up to the 1960s. Due to their ephemeral nature, most of what was printed did not survive. But there are collections such as that held in the National Archives, as well as a substantial Irish presence in ballad collections in the universities of Notre Dame and Oxford, many of which are available to browse online. I am Ian Lynch, and this has been the Fire Drawn Air Podcast. A big thanks to all the performers on this episode. In order of appearance, Sean Fitzgerald, Ludia Santiago Olinchig, Cormac McDermott, Fergus Russell, Andreas Schultz, Thomas McCarthy, Ray Cuddehy, Connor McAdams, John Ahern, Graham Patterson, Alan Woods, and Liam Krill.
Dadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadad